0: Episode is episode 180, and today I'm joined by Kira Garrity. Kira is a best selling author, she's got at least nine books published. Nine that I've counted, anyway. I've read her most recent two books, Rules of the Road and Make Yourself at Home. I thoroughly enjoyed them, they touch on some sensitive topics, especially Rules of the Road. I liked how Kira wrote a story around these topics and was brave enough to have a story around it and uh, just helped me to to learn things through the characters to be honest. On today's episode we talk about how Kira became a writer. She started relatively later on in life. Well not that late on in life but relatively late on in life. We talk about what writing is for her, what it's given to her and we talk about make yourself at home. We talk about the what went into the book, how did she come up with the story, some of the psychology behind the book, uh, what she wanted to talk about and what she wanted to express. So I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Kira. she's a very open person and uh, I know you get some value from this episode. So thanks again for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Okay, so thanks for joining us today, Kira.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Dennis.
0: My pleasure. Uh, Yeah, just if you could just tell us a little bit about you to begin with
1: okay right that's very um yeah that's a very broad question indeed <laughs> My name <is> <laughs> um i am a writer but i only became a writer when i was 34 and um, and up until then i uh, was an insurance loss adjuster i was loads of different things actually but one of the last thing i was before i became an official writer was uh an insurance loss adjuster so um i um yeah i i mean i i lived in the suburbs i had two of my three children by then and i worked away i was working full-time life was really really busy and um, i didn't have an awful lot of time to think about you know what it was I really wanted for my life and you don't when you have small children and then one day I was standing on the train platform in Donabate and waiting for the train the train was late so which gave me kind of a rare five minutes of self-reflection and I realized that I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up and um you know that was worrying since I already was grown up and uh so yeah I I um I kind of mooched around for a couple of weeks after that. And I, I felt really down and I was like, God, you know, I didn't, when I was five years old, didn't dream about being an insurance loss adjuster. And like there was nothing wrong with my job and it could be quite interesting at times. And my boss always told me my, my report writing was really, really good. (laughs) And, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like lighting a fire inside me. And, um, I don't know, I just thought I, my life would be different to how it turned out, you know? And um, so what happened was in the course of my, of my work as an insurance loss adjuster, I had to go and investigate a claim in Plunkett College in Whitehall um, a man had fallen off a roof and um, don't worry he was fine and um, but I just had to go and investigate that incident and in the course of my investigation I spoke to the principal of the school there and he was telling me all about his adult education program um, and he gave me a syllabus and it was just that kind of time of the year when people sort of coming into late summer coming into the autumn uh, when such courses are starting so it was all kind of um you know it seemed like the universe was telling me something so and I just thought wouldn't it be nice to do a night class once a week for an hour a week and that was completely unrelated to anything in my life unrelated to being a mother a wife an insurance, you know, b- worker, and um, and and was just kind of a bit frivolous and just something for me, and um, so I that's how I ended up signing up for the creative writing course. And in fairness, like I probably would have done, um, any kind of course. I, I, w- I don't think I was all that fussy, but I did know I wanted to do something creative, you know, and um, but I was thinking about maybe learning learning a language or maybe taking up pottery. You know, it's something something creative. Um and then I saw the creative writing course and I don't know why to this day I just don't know why I picked it. But I did and I signed up for it and um and really the rest is history because within five minutes of being in that class, even though I didn't know anybody I was on my own, I was hungry, it was dark, it was wet, I'd come from a long day at work, you know, and I was trying to persuade myself, you know, I was trying to come up with excuses as to why I didn't have to go and then I'm like but I signed up and the recovering catholic in me you know the guilt would be too much I'd already paid the money and so anyway I went and literally yeah it was definitely a light bulb moment for me within five minutes I knew that this course was going to change my life and it really did I know that sounds kind of crazy to say but um but that is true. And I I just got really lucky, you know, because um, the teacher of the course, Emma Sweeney, she just happened to be one of those um, brilliant teachers. She was also a writer. And it's very rare that you get a person that can do both of those really well. And I was just incredibly lucky that she was such a person. And she was very gentle with all of us, um, but she genuinely made me believe that I could be a published writer. Um, and, you know, when I started off in the course, like I literally didn't know any writers didn't, you know, in that, none of my friends wrote and um, I didn't know any published writers or published or otherwise writers, any writers at all. And um, so you kind of feel like, who the hell am I to think that I can do this? But Emma uh, made it OK for me to feel that, you know, and uh, and that's so, so important, because I think if I would had a different kind of a teacher, you know a more abrasive one and um, or just just one that wasn't quite as gentle and lovely as she was and um, i i may very well have um thrown in the towel you know like, who knows and um, because when you're just starting out in writing and um, it's all about um your confidence and it's all about allowing yourself and giving yourself permission to sit at the desk and and produce work you know and um, because you're you've always got the the angel and the devil on your on your on your two shoulders but it's always the devil's voice who who's going to uh, shout the loudest mm. and the one that you will believe telling you look who do you think you are you can't write what are you doing here you've never you didn't do English in university or anything um, and <clears throat> so um, I don't know Emma the teacher just made it okay for me to call myself a writer and and to write And I was just incredibly blessed to have gone to that particular course.
0: Were were you ever drawn to writing before that point in time? Like when you were younger, do you remember feelings of being drawn to writing? Or was this just something different or what was it?
1: No, never drawn to writing. It was way too much like hard work. And I remember getting essays in secondary school. And um, to do over the weekend, and absolutely hating it because yeah. you know it's it so long. It's <laughs> a mm. sure. uh, Yeah, like I prefer maths homework. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because at least like it's just you know a couple of lines, you're done. I always wanted to be done, 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 and out. That was my main objective when I was a, a student. And um, so no, I I never, but I was always a big reader. You know, and okay. I definitely think that that provided the basis for my sort of education as a writer you know because uh, my mother encouraged me to read from a very early age and my dad used to bring me to the library every week and um, reading was a big thing in our house and um, and I'm so grateful for that because the more like you can't be a writer unless you read I'm firmly convinced of that and um, so I yeah it gave me a massive um, basis in understanding structure and narrative and setting and dialogue. And you don't realize when you're reading things that you're actually taking it all in. You just think you're reading this amazing story written by this wonderful writer. Um, and isn't that lovely? And you're just doing it for pure pleasure. Yeah. But obviously, um, you know, it snags. If you do it over and over again and you do enough of it, uh, information snags on your subconscious. So that when I went to the blank page to write my first novel, um, I, I could do it. I knew how to do it. <laughs> I was as amazed as anyone else.
0: What's, what's your, have you a general process today in writing a novel? Like how do you go about doing it? Do you write it from start to finish or do you see the chapters first? Is there a general process that you do for each book or is it different <clears> each time?
1: <throat> There is a general process, I suppose, in that I normally write it from beginning to end, kind of loosely enough, you know. Mm. Um, But, I mean, it's sort of a long drawn out process. I I tend to edit as I go. So I'll write, um, you know, whatever, maybe 1500 words on a Monday and then Tuesday morning, I will revisit what I've written and edit that and then hopefully write another you know, in and around 1500 to a 1, thousand. It just it depends from day to day. Um, but I, I, I try, you know, sometimes I will have uh, like spreadsheets and, and, you know, notes and I'll do research and that. But every day I try to have a, a, a group of words written down on the page as well as doing the other stuff because I can, I find that, um, you know, it's the writing that's, that's the hard bit. So mm-hmm. you can distract yourself with lots of other things that are related to the writing, you know, in terms of research and character development. And, um, you know, you can talk to people on the phone about setting and you can, you know, you, there's lots of things you can do to help with the writing of the novel, but the hard bit, the hard work is the actual getting the words on the page. So I do, I'm, I try and be very disciplined about that and to get words down on the page, even if it's not going to be any good, because it just helps me to feel better in my head and i find mm-hmm. once i feel better in my head um, the work gets done in a more productive way and i also think you're better off to have like the blank screen screen is really frightening and scary and um, so just fills it up with words and then you can always come back to edit it and editing a piece of work is a lot easier in my opinion than creating it from scratch you know
0: yeah definitely yeah it's like a backbone it is it's like anything it's like the implementation part It's easy to passively read, but actually write and express something is the difficult part.
1: It's so hard. And I, I know one creative writing teacher I had said, you know, uh, no text, no talk. So if you don't, you could, because us writers, we can talk. If you get to a group of writers in a room, they can talk about their work in progress forever, for hours. And we love it. Mm. We absolutely love it. And then, you know, at the end of the day, like, where is your work? you know, Nothing's done. <laughs> you, you, it's not down on the page. If it's not down on the page, it's not actually happening. And mm. um, so, and that, that is the hard one. It, it's the hardest bit of the process is getting your arse into the seat and turning on the monitor and putting your hand, setting your fingers against the keys and taking that breath and then making yourself go for it. And I find, and it's always the same, it, it's that, it's, it's directing myself to that, you know, is the hard bit. And then once I'm in the chair, yes, you might sit there for an hour. Yes, nothing might occur. Yes, you might entertain really negative thoughts about yourself, yeah. but in the end, um, you know, you'll, you'll end up writing something if you sit there long enough, you know, because even boredom will just take over and you're like, dear God, how long am I going to sit here for? Just write anything, write something. And I find once you get going, uh, I'm very lucky because I did a secretarial course after I left school. So I'm a really, really fast typist. Um, so I can actually outrun my inner critic with my, with my typing, it's so fast, you know? So um, once I get going on, to, on that, and um, then I'm away. And then what I love about it is, you know, it, if you're having a if you're having a good writing day, like, you know, the time will pass. You won't even be aware of it. You know, Roddy Doyle, I remember listening to him um, in an interview and he said he knows it's a good writing day. If he puts a CD on and um, this was obviously a very long time ago and CDs were still a thing and. Um, and he knows it's a good writing day if he get if if he looks up from his writing and the CD has finished ages ago and he didn't even notice that the music you know that he wasn't listening to the music so um yeah so I I, I definitely think you know getting yourself in the chair the hardest bit and um, and and staying there even harder but then once the process starts oh it's so lovely you literally feel like you're just being lifted by something that's you know I don't know what it is but. And it happens very rarely now, I mean often it's just a one word in front of the other, and it's hard it's you're like a bricky, really you know um building build, building with block you know it, it's that it can be that or feel that difficult, but when it's going well, it's like as if you know you've just grown a pair of wings on your back and you're and you're just lifted off into the air and you're kind of almost not really aware of it, and that's when you know it's good
0: <laughs> you feel like you're um I suppose maybe expressing things that you mightn't be able to express otherwise without that channel. You think maybe that's where the
1: greenness comes from. I definitely think that's true. And I think like, even if you have no intention of becoming a writer, I think actually the process of writing things down out of your head, onto the page is incredibly good for your mental health. They really, really do. And um, I find when I am blue or a bit down or something, it's mm. you know it's because when I think about it I haven't actually written something down for ages. I'm feeling about it? Yeah. I was so, gonna
0: say it, it like writing's kind of like a form of mindfulness because you're becoming aware of the thoughts in your head that are distracting you from your writing. The level yeah. of self-awareness that needs to be there for you to to do the work. So in a way it's like a form of mindfulness, and uh, I think it also gives you a purpose to feel those like challenging feelings of more depression and heavy feelings that would otherwise kind of just sit there and you don't want to feel them and you want to repress them and stay away from them. I think writing gives you an an opportunity to express them, explore them.
1: I I totally agree with you. And also because I write fiction, you know, it's not you, you're not expressing these things. Your character is doing all these. So, so you've got that sort of uh, that security blanket as well, you know, so you can explore, you can explore, you know, issues and feelings and emotions and, but you're in a, you're in a safe place as a writer, because you're just, you're, you're making all, you know, all your characters up. And so you can explore it in a kind of a safe way. I heard an
0: actress talk about that recently. Yeah. What's her name? She's a French actress, uh, Audrey Floreau. And she said that like, it gives you an opportunity to portray a character that might be very different to you, that in society, the average person wouldn't get the opportunity to express himself in a certain way, embody a certain way of being. And acting is very really freeing that way.
1: I totally agree with that. And Kevin Barry, who is our wonderful uh, short story writer, even though he writes novels as well. Um, but he says that the closest um, sort of in, in the art world, the closest to the writer is probably the actor. And uh, he says he's a frustrated actor because he would have loved to have been an actor so that he became a writer because he couldn't be an actor. Um, and uh, But I, I do agree with that because you're just taking character... Um, and you might have absolutely nothing in common with this character. You mightn't agree with uh, his or her ideology, and, you know, outlook mm. on the world. Um, but it's interesting to sort of inhabit that character's uh, life for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does. And I think you definitely need empathy when you are, are going to write people um, and fiction. You, you certainly need empathy um, because you have to be able to inhabit another char- a character's um, head. And... Um, and like, not all your characters have to be likeable, but you have to, um, you know, know them, I suppose. You have to sort of be interested enough to explore their mindset, you know, um, and you have to make them real. And that's, that's a for, I guess, yeah, that's a form of, of acting, you know.
0: Actually, like when I was reading your latest book, Coming Home, uh, Marianne, like and the surface, I'm very different to Marianne, but there was very similar ways of her being and similar emotions that she would have to me that I could relate to then and I'm like well that makes sense of maybe why I'm like that and uh, that's kind of the way I I suppose I look at it then it's like it's, it's giving me a character that's very different to me but I can relate on a feeling level like the stuff they're struggling with is very similar to the stuff I'm struggling with but I don't fully understand the stuff I'm struggling with so it's giving me a perspective that could help me maybe understand why I'm struggling with something
1: and I mean, and, and that's a lovely thing to say. I actually take that as a great compliment. Um, and I, lo- I love that about being a fiction reader as well. It's, it's identifying a character and saying, oh, yeah, I get that character. And, you know, I, I empathize with that character and I see myself in mm. that character, which makes you feel so much less alone. You know, it's so it's such a lovely feeling, you know, and even though it's a fictional character, it can be a really strong, authentic emotion that you feel a connection to this character, because um, it, it sort of justifies maybe how you feel about something or it just makes you feel seen that, you know, um, that, that you can identify with how this character uh, views the world, you know, and, and there's something so comforting about that. I love that about reading. And, I, and when you say that, I, I, me as a writer, I, I find that's, that's a lovely, lovely thing to say. And I take that as a massive compliment
0: yeah no I, that, I, <laughs> I really enjoyed it like even that coming home book it kind of again it solidified that there's a group called the get well sooners I like that too that there was like a, a different word to AA there was like I feel like when it comes to recovering from things and getting to know yourself I think it's really about using your own language finding your own way using like methodologies that are useful but then trying to make it your own and uh I like that little twist that they were called the Get Well Sooners rather than A.A. or something yeah. like that. Well, and that was I, the
1: whole. I mean, the the novel. Yeah. So, I mean, so plot summary very, uh, very quickly. And yeah. um, the the make yourself at home is the main character is Mary Ann Cross, and she is an accountant, or she was an accountant, uh, and she was married, but due to a series of unfortunate incidents, she finds herself homeless, jobless. Her husband has left her. And he's gone off to have babies with this younger woman. And he he and Marianne always agree that they would never have children. And now he's expecting twins. So um, Marianne loses her um, her house. Uh, She can't pay the mortgage because she's lost her job. So that goes into arrears and then her house gets possessed, repossessed by the bank. So basically when we meet Marianne at first, she has no other choice but to return to her childhood home, which is called Ankara. Which is the Irish word for anchor, and set uh, in the wilds of North County Dublin, and this ramshackle, falling down ruin of a house, perched on the edge of a rain-sodden cliff. Um, which is actually Loch Shinny which is up the coast for me here and um, that's that's the setting for the novel so in the house lives Rita who is uh, Marianne's mother they never got on Marianne was 15 when she left home she went to boarding school first then she went to Queen's University where she did accountancy then she returned to Dublin and she got a job and um, where she could work from home and live in her little flat and be completely independent and have no need whatsoever of anybody else that was her plan she never planned to get married but that happened along the way and she thought brian was a bit of a kindred spirit because they had the same sort of very practical uh, approach to the world until you know brian changed his mind so anyway home she comes and she's going to have to learn how to live with her very flamboyant mother rita rita is a an artist and she's also a recovering alcoholic and you were talking about the get well sooners there so rita um, following a tragic incident in, in Marianne and Rita's uh, family history, Rita gave up drinking, she was um, an alcoholic, she and her husband, um, and they were those kind of alcoholics, you know, they were very much in the art world, so they threw lavish and fun and adventurous parties at the house in Ankara, and um, so they they sort of neglected the children but only in a sort of a benign type of a way. Do you know there, there's no malice in in yep. rita and they just you know forgot to you know feed them or you know bring them to school or and um, collect them from you know their school tour or whatever that kind of upbringing so marianne was always kind of felt like she had a younger sister flo and she always felt like she was the parent in the relationship and um so she returns home to Rita and very unhappy about it. Um, And Rita from the house conducts these uh, get well soon meetings. And because Rita, when she gave up drinking, she she did go to AA, but she realized very quickly it was not for her. Um, And it was way too restrictive for her flamboyant nature. So she set up these this this, um, I suppose, society called get well soon and um so she kind of picks up waves and strays from around the area who may be in need of her services she brings them she drives them to her home and conducts daily meetings with them so it's into this sort of you know uh foray of noise and color um in walks Marianne and she's going to have to learn to come to terms with everything that's happened to her. And really, I suppose with Marianne, it's a case of arrested development. And um, she hasn't really allowed life to inhabit her in any kind of a, a normal sort of a sense. And um, she, she's always felt like she's in control of everything and um, you know she's harbored that very false illusion that she's in control of everything so and when, when her cards come tumbling down she's to return home so she's kind of starting from you know zero again learning how to how to be in the world and realizing and accepting that there's no controlling anything you just have to you just have to go with it and hold on for dear life
0: but she did go the opposite I guess that the way she was brought up it was like it was quite chaotic and artistic then she went to more like uh because her relationship with Brian was very formal and very practical yeah. and there was no real emotion in her love there. Like, cause that was too, again, you can't control that. So you have to eliminate that. So she was going back to what I found quite sad though, was that she didn't really get leave her guard down around her mother until the very end. When uh, I don't know what, what I should say that, the, like the it'll ruin, ruin the ending, but it's a, uh, it, it was kind of a reflection on life that I found it quite, uh poignant that it has hard things have to happen for us to drop our guard and get to know somebody. Yeah. I would prefer if we could actually be in a space where you can just get to know people. Like instead of something having to happen.
1: It would be so much easier, like if we we're all, you know, when you're you start school and you're a junior infant and a senior infant and you just say, Hi, I'm Dennis. Yeah. I like, you know, I like skipping and marbles. Uh, what's your name? <laughs> and, then, and you just become friends immediately, you know, with the kid who happens to be sitting next to you and, and you just let it all out because you mm. you haven't learned yet to put up that guard. And it's so, I love watching kids that age playing because it's just so refreshing. And I do wish that, you know, I, I mean, it wouldn't have been nice if, if we could just then, be like that. The other
0: thing in the book that I found was that the, the people in the get well sooners there, they were facing their addictions. They were facing their problems. And Freddie as well, I think he he came out towards the end as well. Yeah. And uh, it kind of helped me to understand that when people are genuine and genuinely facing their problems, it gives that environment that creates like people can be themselves more often so that's the other outlet you can uh, get to rather than having to wait for something catastrophic to happen and yeah. uh, get to know and people I, then.
1: I find like in because they were sort of in a tribe together and they were facing their problems together mm. that, that really that sense of community is what um it's what you get, say, if you go to AA, and it's what you get if you go to get your readers get well soon, if they indeed existed. Mm. Um, and I wish they did actually yeah. <laughs> um, because they're a lot of fun. But um, I think that sense of community and um, does really allow people to, you know, it's like me becoming a writer, you see Um, That you're not alone and like all the get well sooners see that they are not alone and that other people have the exact same problems that they're having. You know, it might manifest itself in different ways in different people's lives, but the, the crux of the matter is the same. And there's such strength in that. There's such, you know, comfort in knowing that you're not alone. Uh, with your problems because you know when you do have a massive big problem and and you don't talk to anyone about it and you don't reveal your vulnerabilities so you're just there by yourself and, and you build it up in your head until it's almost insurmountable whereas you know if you actually are brave enough to come into Rita's you know get well soon scenario and admit what it is you're fearing or that you're facing in your life um, and people will say oh yeah I feel the same yeah, that happened to me too, and then the relief is just palpable, and it's just so comforting. And I think that's what you know the book explores, uh, and it's this sense of community and this sort of tribe mentality as well. That mm. Marianne is just hates the idea of that, you know, because she very much is an island, and she thinks she's incredibly happy as an island, but of course. Um, over the course of the book and it can't just be sudden it has to be very gradual over the course of the book she will realize that there's something to be said for this sense of community and for having this connection with people in your life and it makes your life so much more meaningful and so yes it does take her a long time to I suppose forgive Rita as well because she blames her for a lot of things that happened in her childhood some of which were utterly horrific and unforgivable um But Rita, you know, she never shies away from that. She knows that she's not been a a good mother Mm -hmm. at times. But what she's done is she has drawn a line in the sand and stepped over it and said, now I'm going to try and be a better person and and I'm moving forward. I'm, I'm choosing to continue to live, but I'm going to try and do it in a different way. And so I think Rita's story is very hopeful. You know, um, and I think it's that that Marianne will that will eventually persuade Marianne, you know, that her mother and her can possibly be friends after all the years that have passed.
0: Yeah, a big thing I got from the book was the resentment she had, but she never really brought awareness to it because she never really talked about it, never really acknowledged it. The the resentment she had for Rita and uh, what was the son again? What was the adopted son they had?
1: Oh Patrick, that's the foster. Patrick, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that that
0: blocked the connection from the two of them. That resentment yeah. she had for the past. I quite like the ending when they kind of got to know each other. It was um, because it wasn't so black and white. It was like there was a level of um, what what I got now was like a level of sadness for the past, but then I, I also the level of admiration that Rita could like move on. And not be yeah. this person that just goes around as like being depressed and not actually having any, any impact on other people anymore.
1: Yeah. 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 And I think Rita does, she does have a hugely positive impact on other people and, and she has, she, she's able to be a terrible mother as well, because I just think, you know, we're not w- one thing or another, you know, we're just a mm. very complex, you know, set of cells <laughs> and um, and sometimes you you know you, you can't just define yourself by one moment that happens in your life um, and and we are lots of things to lots of people and I think it's actually the way Marianne will when she comes home to Ankara, much against her will, um, but she will see Rita through other people's eyes and not just um, through her own sense of history, of their shared history together. She will see the impact that Rita has on lots of other people and she'll see how positive uh, Rita's influence can be. And this will help to change her mind and to and to kind of just move her forward a bit. And it, and it's the same with her foster brother uh, Patrick, because what happened was when Rita, so a, a terrible incident happens in Marianne's childhood uh, when she's 15, Marianne leaves to go to boarding school. After this, Rita gives up drinking completely and she starts fostering kids. Now, most of them just stay for like there's a weekend here, a week there, a summer there. Patrick is the one who stays. He's only supposed to stay for a couple of weeks, but he never leaves. So when Marianne returns to Ankara, Patrick is still there. And and Patrick's relationship with Rita is, is, a, is very joyful and very beautiful to behold. And, and so Marianne completely resents him because basically, Patrick has received the benefit of Rita's maternal instincts in a way that Marianne never did, you know, because Rita was too busy partying and drinking and, and just being careless with her children. Um, and, and so, yeah, Marianne um, really, really resents Patrick uh, as well as the Get Well Sooners because they're all being showered with attention in a way that Marianne never was. And they all have a really different image of, uh, of Rita to Marianne. So none of them will agree with her, you know her opinion of her mother they have a completely different opinion because they know it's a completely different version Um, of rita than marianne does
0: yeah it's uh the other thing that i I found afterwards was that because you didn't get to know rita's upbringing you're like why was she that way why was she a drunk to begin with there's obviously stuff there for her that she was running away from i suppose you never fully get a, a background in her upbringing that would give you a bit more understanding and empathy towards like why she was in that situation and kind of what patterns I guess have changed from her changing as yeah. a person as well you know.
1: Yeah I mean her parents were uh, Archibald and Ruby and they and they were writers and illustrators as well they they wrote a series of get well or how to books you know how to do really ridiculous things like you know darning and um, I don't know. Uh, oh, they made a cool.
0: money off that, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> and <laughs> that's how they made the family money. Yeah. And then I suppose uh, with Rita and her being an artist, and there is that absolute, you know, very acceptable link between being an artist and uh, being yep. a drinker as well. So Rita totally leans into that. And then her husband, uh, he's an artist as well and, and quite a successful one, or at least he was, uh, he had one successful painting. Uh, and he and he sort of lived off the reputation of that, and um, for the rest of his, of his, um, you know, uh, working life. But he was a big drinker as well. And then they just had the parties, and I, I, it was just kind of that world, you know, that sort of socialite world of, of parties and art, and um, it was very acceptable and and very glamorous, you know. But in the end of the day, I suppose you know, um, like it had gotten a good hold of Rita. And um, then, as I say, I don't want to say too much, but there's this Mm. incident in in Marianne's childhood and um, something terrible happens. And I suppose Rita takes stock. And, you know, hilariously, not hilariously, but um, tellingly, um, uh, Rita gives up drinking. Her husband does not, but he leaves her fairly soon afterwards, you know, because Rita is no longer... The socialite you know party animal that he you know fell in love with and even though their relationship was was pretty catastrophic because it was you know they would have described it as 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 being very passionate you know and and it was always like you know they were always chasing each other down corridors and fighting but then making up and being all um oh, incredibly dramatic you know um, which doesn't for for the child that marianne was doesn't doesn't uh, give her the security that she mm. absolutely craved so they they weren't great for each other but um and they completely weren't suited for each other because the minute uh, rita gives up drinking um her husband turns around and, and and off he goes you know because that kind of sobriety is, is not for him um so God, i can't remember what you asked me now in the first place
0: I was about to her her, her parents They're, that's how we oh, yes, started so that's that that's a very brief backstory yeah. of
1: each
0: Matthew, <laughs> yeah. like um because what you're talking about there also it makes sense in terms of attachment styles in relationships that oftentimes you'll attract somebody who's there to help you heal aspects of yourself that you don't know need to be healed Do you, have you like researched into that to help you with creating storylines that no i make mean sense i have
1: I suppose um most of my research is well not most of it but a lot of it is often based on on you know my experience of of meeting people okay yeah. people, hearing about people reading about people and just studying people you know i'm a bit of an amateur anthropologist really i suppose <laughs>
0: yeah well, that makes sense like if you <laughs> observe observe like relationship dynamics and people yeah. gives you insights which is good because it helps you like as a reader into read things that might actually make sense of your life in some way that like, you wouldn't expect.
1: Well, that's the hope.
0: Yeah. No, no, I definitely got that from from that book and as well as from uh, Rules of the Road as well. I, that's a different story, but again, it deals with topics that are challenging. And the biggest lesson I saw like after that book was that for Terry's character was that she had a certain idea of how Iris should go about her life, which wasn't Iris's truth, even though it's difficult it's better to try and understand where that person's coming from, understand their rationality and not try and persuade them of doing things that might seem on the surface, like in their best interest, but aren't actually in their best interest.
1: Yeah. And that's hard. And that's love. You know, that is love is accepting somebody's decision, even if you absolutely do not agree agree with with
0: it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, it's it's a good book. Actually, how do the characters come to you? Is it character development or like this?
1: Yeah, like I'm, d- I'm just thinking about my working progress at the moment. So my main character is Agatha Doyle, and she is, she definitely came first before the plot. The plot is certainly, you know, arranged around her. So would the topic? I think mostly... Sorry, Dennis, what did you say?
0: I was just like, would the topic come before the characters in the plot? Like, is in like, would you want to explore, for example, addiction and what a daughtership relationship there in in the last book or? Yeah.
1: Absolutely not, not really. I'm definitely not an issue driven writer Um, and and sometimes I don't like that as a reader when I know that this is about an issue and I'm supposed to learn stuff from this and, Mm. um, you know, I'm being being told things and I'm, I'm being given a message and I'm not mad about that as a reader. At least I like it to be a little bit more subtle. So I definitely don't say, now I'm gonna discuss euthanasia in my next novel. And it's more, um, I'm about the character and, uh, and I suppose the topic of euthanasia is something that really interests me. um, Because I I just think, my God, how brave do you have to be to make that decision and then go and do it? Because there is no way that I would be able to do that, no way. I can't even get a tattoo um, you know, I, I'm just, uh, I'm a fearful person and I have nothing but respect for people who make that decision and go for it, uh, which is the, the decision that Iris has made in Rules of the Road. And, uh, and yet, um, Terry is going to have to learn to accept that. Uh, and she thinks she is doing Iris a favour by trying to persuade her to change her mind but she she will learn, you know, because she, I, Terry is on a journey, like, and and so, and um, and Terry's journey is is the one that interested me really in this book, because you know she's the housewife, she's the stay at home mother to two daughters who no longer stay at home. She's kind of at a loose end. She finds herself in her forties without really knowing herself or having you know, discovered who she is. So her as a character would have uh, interested me and Iris as a character, someone who, um, she's just a woman who knows exactly what she wants and knows how to go and get it and doesn't apologize for herself in any way, doesn't compromise, takes no prisoners and is very, very unlike me in many, many, most ways. And so I suppose a character like that does, it fascinate me and interests me and I think um, how how does how does someone like that work you know and, and that's that's where i come from i think that's where i start from really so um, the
0: character traits and then the plot evolves from the character
1: traits it? yes yeah, yeah. um and, and it's kind of hard to look back and remember where did i come up with the plot for rules of the road mm. um because i don't know um there's is there a reason that... for
0: journeying through europe and stopping in france and stuff or is that random yeah.
1: Th- that that was so nice. I actually mm. no, I had planned that that was going to happen in the novel, and then in real life, um, I went and did that oh. journey. So that was fabulous. Really, yeah. really good. Uh, yeah, I'd I would highly recommend that. But obviously, that was way before COVID. And yeah, was, you know, <laughs> uh, did the thing to travel that it did, which was really mean. Oh,
0: that's nice. Now. Uh, gee, I thought I had a question there for a second. Um, no the question there a second ago was it scan again i think it goes the road
1: it'll come back to you at about four o'clock tomorrow morning you'll sit bolt upright in bed and go ah <laughs> so obviously if that happens just call me anytime night and day
0: potentially yeah <laughs> uh, would you have any advice for somebody listening in who uh who knows there's something lacking from their life but they don't know what like what would you be what would be your advice for them to progress with that and not ignore it
1: yeah and i think that's that's a really good realization to come to Mm. you know because loads of people just just keep on going and
0: um, i think a lot of people might mention it or they might acknowledge it and then just forget about it not pursue it any further
1: yeah. So I, I actually think it's a really positive thing yeah. to happen to you to realize, oh, well, hang on, there's something missing in my life, because then you can actually do something about it, you know, and that's incredibly empowering, you know, because like when I realized there's something missing in my life and I was 34 uh, and then I, start, I realized what it was and I started writing. And um, it, it was, I mean, I describe it as one of the happiest times in my life. And um, I didn't tell anybody I was writing because I did feel like a big, you know, I had the imposter syndrome real bad. I kind of did have that, who do you think you are? You, you're going to be a writer now. What? Like, you can't call yourself a writer. You know, I, I had so many excuses and reasons in my head as to why I couldn't do it, but yet, I kept on doing it so I would you know by day like you know going around in my suit in the city and being an insurance loss adjuster and then coming home and making dinner and bathing my kids and putting them to bed and um, and then once the house was quiet and dark by night writing at the kitchen table it almost felt like you know sort of revolutionary in a way and then um hugging that secret to myself I literally did not tell anybody my husband knew my sister knew other than that nobody in my life None of my friends and my wider family knew what I was doing. I mean, it felt that subversive, really.
0: <laughs> it's quite similar and, for me, too. But,
1: but you know what? It, it was like, it, it was just a, a really, really happy time of my life. I look back on that time and it was it was a delight. And it was because I had, you know, realized there's something missing in my life and then worked out what it was and gone and done something about it and the, the feeling was very empowering so that's what i would advise people to do to spend some time i think like you know we're always talking about you know making friends and and finding out you know about other people and getting to know other people and joining things but really a lot of us neglect to get to know ourselves and i think that's really really important Uh, and you should invest in yourself and spend some quality time with yourself and ask yourself some questions about what is it that makes you happy you
0: know yeah because i was going to ask you actually what were, what were some of the intangible things that writing gave you that were the things we were missing because i feel like when it's when we feel like we're missing something it's intangible stuff we're missing like for me for example writing has helped me to express myself better it's improved the quality of my relationships it's helped me to view the world differently it's given me more empathy for other people put myself in their shoes a bit more often like for you what sort of intangible stuff did you get from writing that filled the gap from when you asked yourself mean, that question
1: like, like what you've just said there i mean that's just amazing that list that you have just you know said i mean all of those things that writing gave you that's that's such a such a wealth of things do you know what i mean it's mm. it's brilliant and, and i feel exactly the same about about writing and that's what it's given me and i suppose a sense of um Self esteem as well, which I was definitely missing. Um, and because it also, you know, I, when you kind of fall into jobs and stuff and you, d- you don't particularly feel good at any of them, do you know what I mean? Mm. You just yeah. think, oh, look, this is grand, I'll do this, and this pays the bill. And nobody seems to have noticed that I'm not very good at my job. So this is all good. Mm. And um, obviously, myself, my low self esteem, you know, fed into that narrative as well. But then when I started writing, like for the first time in my life, I actually thought to myself, without being told by anybody i'm good at this and that was okay to think that Do you know what i mean yeah. and that was a revelation i just thought oh my god am i allowed to say that out loud <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and that that was you know that so writing definitely gave me some sense of self and um, empowerment and 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 definitely increased my self-esteem you know yeah, that's all, good, yeah. good, all good things yeah yeah
0: yeah, there are the things, yeah. Um, where will people find you online if they wanted to check out your work and your books?
1: Um, yeah, that'd be great. Um, I'm actually doing a re- uh, refurbishment of my website at the moment. So that should be going live, um, I'm hoping, this week. Um, so that's www.kiragarity.com. But you can find me on Twitter, at kira.garity, and you can find me on Facebook, uh, Kira Gerrity Books. Um, and I'm also on Instagram, mostly photographs of my mad dog. That's nice. <laughs> That's
0: good. <Exactly. laughs> Important too. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Kira. Thanks for sharing your insights Thank around you writing and a your journey.
1: To you as well, Dennis. Thank right. you for inviting me.
0: Cool. So until next time, have fun and enjoy the process.